And, and if you're trying to take me a beat, you're gonna need a little more than the situation there but we got everything all straightened out and we tricked you and now we're going live uh so basically here is i'm gonna bring in my guest real quick let me turn this on and boom there he is we are speaking with today uh dr antovio graceffo and basically doc thanks for showing up and i appreciate you coming on we had a little miscommunication uh but we got that all straightened out um and now we're ready to rock and roll how's it going there doc Good, Sage. Good to see you, man. Yeah, sorry about the, uh, I screwed up the time a little bit, but uh, yeah, I'm here. <laughs> yeah, thanks for coming out. I mean, first of all, we're already in a two different time zone situation here. So he's, you're 12 hours ahead of me. Um, so when we go to set up the times as it is, we, we try to, you know, we have to work with that. And then uh, you thought 10, I thought nine. And I'm like, okay, I guess uh, he has an internet problem down. So I don't know what's going on, but it's all straightened out now and we're ready to go live. So Either way, that's uh, all good to go. So you actually have a couple stories you wanted to talk about. Um, and even as this just this morning, one of them might, you know, we have some other stuff to talk about, too. I don't know if you saw that in regards to the uh, firing of somebody from the Ukraine. Uh, so what do you got for oh, us yeah, today? Yeah, 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 yeah. The man who created the inflation has been fired right just this morning all their time would be the afternoon but this this morning this us so you've got um so what stories you got for us uh today so okay so we still got the uh the fallout from the british pound nearly crashing and (laughs) although the guy was fired this morning who caused it uh they have done nothing to actually you know solve the problem the problem is still there and it's bloody huge and then the other thing is tomorrow morning, or rather Sunday morning over here, so the day after tomorrow, uh, the Communist Party 20th National Congress will kick off and Xi Jinping is expected to uh, be handed a third term. Yeah, so let's start here with the with the UK and what, what exactly happened in the UK to kind of cause this predicament that they're in? All right, so the part that is the same almost everywhere in the world is that we had two years of COVID economy, so you know, less people working, less GDP, uh, governments handing out stimulus checks, handing out money to people, uh, government spending money on COVID, spending money on vaccines. So you got a ton of government spending, got money going out, no, no money coming in. So you have the debt climbing, you have the deficit climbing, debt climbing. And then uh, we're going into sort of a recession right now that the general GDP slowdown at the same time we got inflation. So we have the same 
terrible economy everywhere in the world for sort of the same reason supply chain issues mm -hmm. um energy crisis you know and remember that everything you're feeling in the u.s multiply that by many and that's what it feels like in the rest of the world so u.s is very lucky that um when you have uh for example when oil goes up in price mm -hmm. the u.s only pays the difference in the oil right but over here in asia or in europe the currency also goes down. So then there we have, let's say that oil goes up 10% in price. We may actually wind up paying 20% more out of pocket because 10% of that is inflation and another 10% would be because the currency is going down. So uh, America is always a little bit better off. As painful as things are in America, it's worse over here. And in, in the UK, you've got major energy, well, of course, uh, across Europe, major, major, major energy problems as a result of sanctions on Russia mm -hmm. and, uh, so you got all these issues going on and then uh, the dollar's climbing and every time the U.S. Fed raises the interest rate in the U.S., it brings the dollar up, brings all the other currencies down. And then on top of all of this, there was a bond crisis going on in the U.K. Oh, and on top of all of this, the guy who got fired this morning, who was the U.S. equivalent of the, uh, I guess, like the Minister of Finance, right? Uh, he came out with this ridiculous, he called it the mini budget. It came out like two weeks ago, three weeks ago. And it included, uh, so how we're going to deal with inflation is by giving money to people, by cutting interest rates, by cutting taxes, and basically all the things he wants to do to uh, alleviate inflation are actually things that would make inflation worse. Well, this made investors skittish and they began dumping their pounds. And when you start dumping the pound, then the value of the pound goes down. And when people see the value of the pound go down, they begin dumping their pounds. And it just causes this chain reaction where all these investors start dumping their pounds. Now, the other thing that happened in England was that they have these government bonds, which, you know, in the U.S., we have the, the Treasury notes and Treasury bills, government securities. Uh, over in, in the U.K., the, the government bonds are called gilts because okay. they used to have in the old days when they were on paper, they had gilded edges. They had sort of gold around the edges. So they're called gilts. And these gilts are used to fund pension plans. Now, the first time I read through this, I thought I was equating this to like 401k investments in the United States, where we have these massive retirement funds that buy huge amounts of securities. Mm -hmm. But the issue in the UK is that these are real pension funds. They're not retired. They're not like the US 401k. The amount of money you get out at the end is dependent on the value of the stocks and bonds on that day when you start liquidating them. Whereas in the UK, these are real pension plans that say when you retire, you will receive the uh, equivalent of $1,000 a month or $2,000 a month, whatever it is. So this is regardless of market performance. Okay. So these are real pension plans like, you know, maybe your grandparents had or maybe your parents had real pension where when you retire, you're going to get 70% of your salary, you know, whatever it was. So the issue then is that the investment managers that manage these things have to keep up with inflation and changes in currency and things like that. And they have to um, get higher rates of return in their investments in order to cover all this. So we have these, these gilts, these bonds that are being used to support these pension funds. Right. And banks and institutional investors are buying these things and they're using them to make leveraged investments. It's a lot like what happened in 2008 in the US. So leveraged investment means 
you may only have $100,000 in your account, but you're allowed to invest a million dollars. Wow. Okay. All right. So whatever the leverage ratio is, right? And it may be only 10%. Let's say that that's the agreement. Okay. If you have $100,000, you can invest a million dollars in stocks. If that million dollars goes down, in, I'm sorry, if the $100,000, that's basically your collateral. If that collateral goes down in value, you mm -hmm. get a margin call and you got to make it up. So the problem was they had been using these bonds to leverage other investments. And now the bonds went down in value. So now they're getting a leverage call. Uh, they have to go in and kind of make up the difference in their collateral, you know. And uh, this just causes this, this, this spiral and it's not just, it's like a spiral multiplied by 10. It's almost exactly what happened in the, um, you know, the subprime mortgage crisis in the U.S. in 2008. Yep, 2008. Really similar thing. Yeah. So uh, did you see the movie, The Big Short? I have. I have seen that. Yep. My favorite scene in that movie, I show it to my students all the time. He shows like one person standing in a, I don't know if it's like Grand Central Station at rush hour or something. He shows one person. Mm -hmm. He's like, this guy bought a bond and then they leveraged it and they sold it to this guy. And, and the camera keeps panning back, showing how one investment became, you know, it's like a thousand dollar investment becomes like three trillion dollars because they keep you know, leveraging and expanding. And that's kind of what happened in the UK with these guilds. So basically they were using them to um, to support other investments. And then because they, they they were going down in value, now the difference had to be made up from somewhere. And so this whole thing almost caused the British pound to crash. So Bank of England went on the market, starts buying up pounds to bring the value back up. But it's basically like putting a Band-Aid, mm -hmm. you know, on, on this wound. Uh, somebody said it's like putting a Band-Aid on a sucking chest wound. Yeah, so, nice. So let me yeah. ask this. So, uh, of course, and now they're getting, where's the, the England getting the money from, basically? Where's that money come from to buy these bonds back up? That money comes out of their cash reserves. So the Central Bank of England, uh, it's actually called the Bank of England, and that's their central bank. And for the U.S., that's the Fed. And for England, it's Bank of England. So they have cash reserves, foreign cash reserves, we call it. And so that would be be mostly in dollars. And then it would also be in pounds. It would also be in uh, euros, yen, and yuan. But yuan only makes up, I believe, 0.5% of their uh, total cash reserves. It's mostly U.S. dollars. So they'll take U.S. dollars or euros and then go on the open market and start buying up pounds. Now, one of the problems, of course, you only have so much cash reserves. England, for the size of their economy, rather the UK, for the size of their economy, uh, they actually have one of the smallest cash reserves out of all the developed countries or all countries of that size. They have a very low cash reserve to begin with, and they've been spending it down over the past year covering other ridiculous, you know, COVID-related and, and inflation-related and, and transfer payments and things like this. And so you can only, you know, obviously, it's just like your bank account. You know, if you had a cash emergency tomorrow, you can cover it out of your bank account. If you have another one again next week, you know, you may not have any money left. Right. So then now the, they have an up-and-coming problem with energy coming this winter. Right. So how do they, so where are they looking, where does that leave them with the energy problem? And having to I mean, this, bail this them is out. the insane thing. There doesn't seem to be a very good plan in place, either in Europe or in England, how to deal with this energy problem. And most of the governments, including the central bank, uh, the European Central Bank, uh, they're planning to make payments to people. They're, they're going to send checks to people to help them pay for um, uh, energy. They're going to cap energy prices. And what the cap really means is that, uh, let's say that it costs 
it normally costs a hundred dollars to generate energy. Mm-hmm. Now it's going to cost 150. The government says, Oh, we're going to cap the price at a hundred. What that really means is the government's going to pay the other 50. And that comes out of t- basically taxes down the road because right. that's where they're down getting the road, their money from. Right. Yeah. In the short run, it's going to come out of debt. They're just going to write, write bonds and use debt to pay the difference. Right. And, you know, can you imagine you're paying a subsidy on top of the cost of energy for hundreds of millions of people. I mean, Europe has whatever, 400 million people, right? UK, you know, you're, right. you're paying this for that many people. Uh, it's, it's, it's insane. I mean, it's, it's, it's almost incalculable because I don't know. I don't even know. Yeah. Like, like what would the number be? We don't know what energy is going to cost at that point. Right. Right. And then you take the usage of every household and then they're going to cap it at a certain level and pay, pay the difference. So you've got, and let me make sure you understand this right. So right now you've got a, um, a, a, an issue with the pound. I want to almost said the dollar, but an issue with the pound in regards to inflation, which is basically being, you know, uh, they're, they're covering. And then you have an up and coming problem that they're going to eventually have to technically print pounds cur- to be able to cover energy costs as these energy costs go up. Where does that yeah, basically? Yeah. Where does that? Yeah, leave oh, and the other thing is that the, that the British British debt is actually very significant. It's huge. I mean, all all developed country. Well, I don't, I don't want to say all, but like U.S., Japan, and China have very, very, very high debt to GDP ratios. Uh, UK does as well. The one good thing that at Britain has is that most of their debt is in British pounds. Mm-hmm. So when you have a reserve currency, when you're National currency is a reserve currency. You do have a bit of an advantage because Britain can sell bonds denoted in pounds and you'd be willing to buy them. I'd be willing to buy them because it's the pound. It's okay. Right. Right. If Mexico was selling pound, if they were selling bonds, they were denoted in pesos. Right. right? You, you, you don't want to buy that, you know? So, so when you have a reserve currency, it is one benefit that England has is that most of their debt is in pounds, not in dollars. But if it was in dollars, I mean, they would really be in trouble. Like I live in Mongolia. That's one of our problems here. All our foreign debt is in dollars. And the uh, Tugruk has lost uh, 20 or 30% of its value this year. Mm. What, what, uh, at what point does it, I, I know we say this all the time, you know, the pound is a reserve currency, but, but at what point is printing so much, do countries start to say, uh, your money's not looking so good because you keep printing? Like, is there a point that the country's reached by printing so much or is it just, they hope that countries keep trust in it. Like what point do you yes, lose at trust? What point does it happen? September 26, 2022. <laughs> well, that's fantastic. That was the day that everybody dumped their pounds. <laughs> right. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, you know, if you're asking long-term, like at what point do you pull the pound out of the reserve currencies? That may be a really long way off because, okay, what are your alternatives? Right. Wow. And, and so where does this look? Okay. So here's what we got right now. So basically we have um, inflation kicking that was, was kicking in because of the, still because of COVID and, and poor management, basically. Correct. Poor management. Um, So at that point you have a bunch of bonds being exchanged and going back and forth and trying to dump, you know, figure out who's got the best bonds. Um, So they're throwing money at that. You have an up-and-coming energy crisis that they're going to have to throw money at. They're basically nationalizing energy at this uh, uh, utility companies, basically, or subsidizing them at this point, saying, subsidizing, hey, yeah. you can only do this much. How does, at that point, where does that leave the energy companies? 
Well, the energy companies are okay because they're going to get paid. They're okay. guaranteed of getting paid. Oh, so right? they're so getting so we've not set the price. We've just said you can only bill this much, but we'll pay yeah. you the difference. Okay. We'll pay the difference, yeah. Got yeah. it. Whatever the difference winds up being. So that's why even when I read some sort of um, estimates of what it's going to cost, I know that that can't possibly be accurate because we don't know what right. the cost of energy is going to be. How cold it's I mean, obviously, you make an estimate, but you know, we, we don't know what's going to happen. And, and a lot depends on Russia. It depends on a number of other factors, Iran. And just recently, the banks of uh, England, didn't they set something where they people were having an issue getting money out of the banks? Uh, I'm not sure if they they had put a temporary hold on withdrawals. That's a good question. I'm actually not sure. That actually happened here. Um, here they actually put. Well, it was on uh, dollars that you weren't able to uh, to exchange for dollars. But I'm not sure. The Bank of England may have had a temporary hold. I'm not sure. I, I won't speak to that. Gotcha. So basically, the, but where where you were from, they did it. They did it for how long? Oh, um, it may still be in place. That 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 there was a limit on how many dollars you could, you could take all the Tilgrooks you wanted out of the bank, but you couldn't uh, convert them to dollars. And what and what's what what's the reasoning that banks do that? So the central bank has to keep reserves. They 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 keep foreign currency reserves, and at least sixty percent of those are usually in U.S. dollars, and they keep it to back up their own currency. They keep it to pay their foreign debt because foreign debt is usually denoted in dollars and has mm -hmm. to be paid in dollars. Interest has to be paid in dollars. So they keep it for that and they keep it to pay for imports because imports have to be paid in dollars. Um, so what happened here was when the war broke out in Ukraine and the U.S. and EU put all these sanctions on Russia, uh, the Russians were not able to use their, their rubles internationally. They weren't able to convert them to dollars. I mm -hmm. think Russia put put a moratorium on converting rubles to um, either dollars or euros. I think, well, in fact, at one point, actually, the government of Russia ordered corporations to withdraw their dollars and euros and go down and convert them to rubles. Mm. They actually ordered them to to convert their savings to rubles. Uh, uh, yeah, so that the government could get hold of dollars and euros. So citizens, private citizens, began pouring over the border into Mongolia and just converting rubles for dollars. So they wiped out just about all of our dollars. Mm. Wow. And that left the Bank of Mongolia with, with so, very little dollars. And of course, Mongolia, all of our external debt is in dollars. I mean, it's not, and nobody wants Tugrooks. So they were literally pulling out as many dollars. Russia was basically pulling out as much U dollar bills, U.S. cash as they could, just to kind of also tweak the system a little bit. And yeah, the Russian government dollars. was trying to get hold of as much dollars and euros as it could. Citizens were terrified that their, you know, the life savings are going to, you know, just just evaporate. Right. So they just loaded all their cash, got in a car or got on a train and came to Mongolia and bought up all the dollars that th they could find at the money stalls. Mm, that's interesting. So now where does that with this, does this affect us at all? How does this affect the United States with these uh, with the the EU there? So the, there's a few benefits to the U.S. Okay, so the dollar is really high right now. So right. The, the bad thing is that the U.S. exports are really expensive now overseas. So we'll probably see U.S. exports declining. But because the dollar is so high, we're attracting foreign investment into the United States. So we'll get a lot of foreign investment. And um, that can be, can be beneficial. 
Um, we are making deals with Europe that we're going to sell LNG. You know, well, you, you were in the Coast Guard, so right. you know that. And I was a merchant seaman, so uh, you know the U.S. is one of the largest producers and exporters of LNG, mm -hmm. and we're going to be selling, you know, liquid natural gas. So we're going to be selling a lot more of that to Europe and I, I'll presumably to the U.K. as well. Uh, to help make up their energy shortfall. So in a lot of ways, it's actually going to wind up being beneficial for the United States. Uh, for Americans as individuals, if you want to buy a house overseas or if you want to travel overseas, this is the time to do it because your, your dollars are worth a ton, you know, in Europe or, or in the UK or anyplace else. So th those are kind of the benefits of the U.S. So basically at this point, because everybody's like, oh, the, the, the pound's going to crash, it's going to crash. Basically, they stopped it from crashing. They basically said, hang they stopped on. It from for, for yeah, now. it stopped it from crashing, but I mean, it's a systemic issue. You know, I mean, the immediate, you know, the, the release of this mini budget caused all this stuff to happen, right? Mm -hmm. or, or, or that was like the straw, that, you know, that broke the camel's back. But I mean, all the problems are still there. They've still got all the mountain of debt. They've still got, you know, COVID recovery economy. They're still planning to give people tons of money and checks and stuff like that. Tax breaks, energy, you know, reductions and things like this. Um, so, uh, you know, where's this money going to come from? Right. And why would anybody trust or, you know, nobody wants to buy the gilts now. So, so one of the interesting things that happens with bonds is that when the government issues, let's say a $1,000 bond, the face value is a thousand dollars. Right. And they're going to pay 3% interest. So you get 3% of, of uh, 3% of a thousand dollars every year, you know, until it matures. Mm -hmm. When they release it, if we don't trust that bond, we don't pay $1,000 for it. We meaning the market. Right. The, the market might say, I only want to pay $89 for that bond. I'm sorry, $890 you right. know, for, for a $1,000 bond. And, um, or, or you know, whatever the number is, right? So they have to sell them at a discount. Now, the benefit to investors is that right now, if you buy British bonds, you're going to get them at a discount. So you might have a higher yield. You know, the yields go up when the, when the, when the values go down. So you buy a thousand something that says a thousand dollars on it, and you're going to pay something less than a thousand dollars, whatever it is. It's you know nine hundred dollars or whatever it is you're going to pay for it. So even even buying that thousand dollars, and when it, when you go to sell it, you might not get that money. Basically, uh, well, point, it, if well, you sell at it, maturity, you'll get you'll get a thousand dollars. But the problem is that uh, as far as the British government. They're not paying. Well, for example, and I haven't checked the yields and the and the, and the interest on British bonds, but just as an example, assuming mm -hmm. that it was a three percent bond, right? Um, they're not. The British government is not borrowing a thousand dollars at three percent. They're borrowing whatever you're paying. Let's say you're paying nine hundred dollars, mm -hmm. but they're paying you interest on a thousand. Wow. Okay, so could you imagine that? Like you go to the bank, and go, I want to borrow a hundred dollars. They go, Yeah, well, we're only going to give you ninety, but you're going to pay the same amount yeah, of interest. That, let me understand. So I'm paying on the hundred dollars in, in, in yep. the bank situation, but you're only giving me ninety, right? And right. people are are going to be like, No, 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 thank you, no, thank you, right? So, so the British government needs money, right? So they desperately need money. The British government needs money. So they're going to issue a one thousand dollar bond, and they're going to pay interest on a thousand dollars, but they're only going to get what you pay. So that might be nine hundred dollars or something. So what this means is that the cost of borrowing for the government of Britain has gone up. Wow, that's uh, that should go over well with people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, look, look. The U.S. The U.S. has so many problems, but honestly, it's it's 
we're really lucky. I mean, in so many ways. We we have the better system, it seems, even though it's messed up right now. And, and it seems like a lot of people, it's over a lot of people's heads that they're like, I don't know what to do. Somebody tell us what to do. And we, we don't seem to have a plan, but at least we have a better opportunity to, for somebody to come in and do the plan. Correct? Yeah. I mean... Yeah, I mean, look, look. As Americans, I mean, you 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 go to fill up your car. I think about the average American. Do you know how much petrol the average American uses in a week? Uh, well, I'm completely different. So, because uh, I don't go anyplace, I work from home. Uh, I'm gonna say, let's see, twenty my twenty gallons. Uh, not even. Not even. Eleven. It's eleven gallons. 11. But let's say twenty. Let's say twenty. Okay. Okay. So gas was two dollars. Now it's four dollars. So then now we're up, uh, what, what am I at here? Do my math. So yes, <laughs> do my math. So, so it went up by $40, 40 you know, bucks. So your weekly expenses so, went up by $40. It's not nice. Right. And, and that's nice, at 20. So a professional job, $40 isn't that much. I mean, it's not nice. You're not happy about it, but it's not going to break you. Right. Well, you, right? Yeah. But, you know, yeah. So but now picture in the rest of the world, people need to drive the same amount, but they don't earn what Americans earn. Right. You know, they earn a fraction of what Americans earn. You know, over here, um, a tank of gas, because it's in liters over here, you know, they're paying, I don't know, maybe a dollar, two dollars a liter, six dollars a gallon, 20 gallons a week, $120 a week, and the monthly salary is $400. Holy crap. Really? Yeah. Yeah. So petrol could be more than your salary, you know, and in England, people earn less than, you know, in the UK, people earn less than the US. In Europe, people earn less, you know, Italy, you know, my, my other home, you know, yeah. my, my other country of origin, you know, you know, I mean, the average salary is more like uh, $40,000 a year or something, whereas in the US, it's more like 60,000. Wow, I am shocked that it's that much there for for the price of six. It's about $6 a gallon over there. Yeah, you're over here. Yeah. And, and in Europe, too, though, gas is always a lot more. I know that when I was going to school in Europe, it was always like back of the envelope estimation. It was about the same price per liter that it was per gallon in the U.S. Ouch. Yeah, I don't know that that's Ouch. the case today. I didn't actually check today. But when I was going to school, that's what it was. I remember it was like a dollar a gallon uh, in the States. That's how old I am. And it was like a dollar <laughs> a liter in Europe. Well, we've got another story too to cover. Is um, she's coming up for his? How, he's not really a president per se, but he is, right? So it's difficult to call him a president because uh, the voting is a whole different process from us. Um, so they do the conference basically that they say, "Yep, you're the man. We're going to go ahead and dictate you to be the dictator for the next what what term did they do? Like <laughs> you're be the dictator. We, we, now, you as dictator. we now dictate you to be the dictator for the next uh, what four years or what do they do? Five years over uh, there? Five years. Five, five years, years, right. So that's coming up uh on the sixteenth, right? They announced it? Yeah. All right. So what Yeah, so uh yeah, it's really funny because a lot of the American media started referring to she as the president and it really bothers me. I'm like, no, presidents are elected. Right. Not a president. So yeah. so what how does this all go down? So when the, the <laughs> conference starts, what is kind of the the gist of it here, basically? Like how long is it? Okay, so leading up to the conference, so so some Chinese apologists will argue with you that China is a democracy because at the local level, 
you can vote for the deputy, uh, what do they call them? Deputy delegates or something. Not even really delegates. They're like the deputy delegates. You can mm. elect, elect them at the local level. And they go to a conference and they elect the real delegates. And then after that, you're not involved anymore in the process as a as a citizen, you know? And then and then the delegates go to like the next conference, the next conference. And you go all the way up to this big conference, which is, uh, I forgot the total number of delegates, but something like 200 of them can vote. And out of that, they're going to pick the steering committee. And then out of the steering committee, they vote. And then they pick the leader. Okay. And uh, we're expecting she to be handed a third term. Now, previously, uh, they were only allowed to have two terms. She, right. she would only have been allowed two terms, but he had them change the law. So there's no term limits now. Uh, so theoretically, he could be leader for life. And we're expecting him to be handed a third term. Um, they have a constitution. Uh, okay. <laughs> may shock you. Okay. They have a constitution. <laughs> yeah. And uh, she thought was enshrined in the constitution. And wow. it's illegal to challenge the constitution. So I really don't even understand how there could be any question ever that he will be the leader for life other than if he's assassinated or if he dies in office. Right. Uh, yeah. Because I, I can't. I Because anyone who speaks out against him, it seems to me that that would be speaking out against the constitution of the communist party of China, which you can't do. So, so basically as the, yeah. as the runner up, <laughs> I mean, if somebody else that would be running against him, is there anybody, I mean, obviously there's another uh, there, the, uh, version of the party, right? It, it's hard to kind of interpret because I'm trying to make, explain how in, we would understand in the English. So, or in America. So they do have a two party system per se. Uh, no, well, actually, there's eight parties. Eight in parties. China. Okay. Uh, I'm sorry. There, well, so there's eight minor parties. There's nine parties. There's eight minor parties. However, the eight minor parties must agree that the Communist Party of China leads and that they rule the country. Mm -hmm. And you can't try and like win an election or try and beat them out or or or, or try and surplant them. So the eight minor parties have uh, literally no function. I don't even know why they exist right. except. That when you argue with someone, they could say, oh, China's a multi-party democracy. We right. Eight minor parties. But yeah. And do you know the Communist Party only has 96 million members, which makes it one of the largest political parties in the world. However, that's a really small percentage of the total population of China. Yeah, I didn't know that. I didn't know it was only 96 because yeah. there's, uh, there's like two billion. How many? I got, three. Yeah something billion in there so then who yeah. is actually running against him like who is the other party that's technically that they're even voting to choose from no 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 it's not a vote between two parties so out of, two people out of, out of the, the other person 20 guys somebody will be selected um, okay but no it wouldn't be anybody from from another it, it, it's it's not two parties running against each other and, and there's no running right there's no right no and that's why i'm campaign. trying it's very difficult to explain yeah. sometimes because it's like I, I know the terms i want to use but it's like that's not true that's not what they're doing yeah so yeah at this point this being his third term they're looking at this as this can be i mean he's doing some stuff but it so there's actually no fear that he wouldn't be elected right i mean what's the possibility of him not being elected are not being extremely chosen. Unlikely that chosen. Be, yes. That would be a better word. Yeah. Um, yeah. Extremely. Now the fear is though that once chosen again, he this this term might be a more aggressive term than the last term that he just did, um, yeah. because of that 
an appointment to that third, fifth year term, basically. Yeah, that's that's kind of what um yeah that's what I've been working on today for uh, think tank. But what we think is going to happen is that we're going to see a much more aggressive uh, third term because going into this election, election, this selection, this <laughs> this Congress, tart, ain't it? <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> Going into this thing that's happening on Sunday, the Congress, um, you know, the legitimacy of the party, right? The contract that they have with the people is you defer all your your choice, your power, the authority. You defer everything to us. Right. But in return, we're going to take care of you. And the way we're going to take care of you is that we're going to guarantee you economic prosperity. It's different than the Communist Party in the past. You're going to be wealthy. You're going to be rich. China's going to be wealthy and rich. Um, but you can't speak out against us. You can't try and supplant us, can't try and put us out of power. But as long as you don't do that and you want to quietly get rich, we support that. And in fact, it's the duty of a good communist to become rich because it helps the country get rich. Right. That has been the contract. Now, right now, China has the lowest growth it's had in 30 years. Uh, Nomura has one of the most pessimistic outlooks. They've, they've already downgraded China's outlook for the year being right. less than 3%. Um, China's got a major, major, major debt, 265% of GDP. If we take uh, private and government debt together, 265% of GDP, the currency value is at a, whatever, three decade low or something like that, or however long low, uh, broke seven. Seven's the psychological barrier, seven to the dollar, and it broke seven to the dollar. Mm -hmm. So they got a terrible economic situation, 20% youth unemployment. So they got a terrible economic situation right now. And so the, the legitimacy of the, of the leader it would be questioned in a democracy. It won't be in China because if you question it, you're going to go to jail, right? Mm -hmm. But she derives his legitimacy from, I'm, I'm going to save you economically. I'm going to help you. So he hasn't done that. He hasn't delivered on that promise. And there's no quick fix mm. that he can do to make that okay. Like he can't wave a magic wand and fix the economy. The other thing he promised to do was to reunify China. In other words, to take Taiwan. Right. And now, so do they print money like we do? I mean, can they print yes. money and just, yep. you know, out of the, out of the blue magical money? Um, yeah, and so, can, yeah. And they can create debt and, and everything. Same, same thing that we do. Because he has been moving towards that unification of, of time be with uh, some of the, the rules or laws that they've changed in regards to the military. Um, and, you know, they I think at one time I think I even watched that they were um, starting to they would give benefits and stuff that if you were drafted and, and situations like that. So he's he's moving more towards a military budget uh, than than normal in his last, well, let's say, year ish before leading up to this, correct? Yeah, that's correct. Well, you know, in China, and the thing about China is that they release their plans. They do five-year plans. Mm -hmm. um, they do longer plans as well, but but they do release the five-year plans. And so, like, they have one plan called China 2025, which is by 2025, they want to be doing high-end manufacturing. Uh, they don't want to be doing low-end manufacturing anymore. And um, they're calling it Made in China 2025 because they want the whole world, to, you know, that that your, your best products, your good products are going to be made in China. Well, I don't think they're going to manage that over the next, you know, three years. Three years, right. And then the other one was by 2035 to surplant the U.S. as the um, 
as the most powerful economic power and as the most powerful military power mm-hmm. and uh you know to have their gdp larger than ours by 2035 and it doesn't look like that's going to happen um they're pumping money into the military but their defense budget is still just in an absolute just a fraction of ours right um it's the biggest it's ever been and they and they added they actually made their budget this year and then about mid-year they added more money to it but it's still way behind ours. When you read that they're cranking out ships and this and that, it is pretty scary what they're doing, the number of ships that they're building, number mm-hmm. of satellites and space wars. But on the other hand, the U.S. really is outspending them. So let me ask, when do they release the, because they'll have to release it when he takes office again, right? The new one comes out, the five-year plan? He, yeah, normally what happens is the incoming leader inherits a five-year plan that's in progress. Okay. It, it, so, so he inherits it was made by the previous guy and he inherits that it's actually very sensible how they do it the the, the, the guy who's leaving office makes a five-year plan and he hands it to the new guy because the idea is well you're the new guy you don't really know you know how to do this yet so i'm going to hand you a plan you manage this plan to fruition and it's a five-year term so that plan ends you make the new plan and then either you you, you know you stay in office and you do two terms or the new guy comes in and hand off the plan. So with she, he inherited a plan. Then he made the 13th five-year plan. Right. Uh, saw that to fruition, made the new one, but then he got a second term and so forth. And so, yeah, so so there'll be a new five-year plan now. And of course, he'll, he'll administer more of these than anybody except, I guess, I guess Mao. Mao, right. Yeah. Because so- Deng Xiaoping, the, the interesting thing was that Deng Xiaoping is the other. There, there was two great leaders of China. One was Mao and then later was Deng. The, the interesting thing about Ding was that Ding was really in charge for many years, but he didn't always hold the title, but he was the man who actually had the power. Right. It was very interesting. Whereas Mao had all the titles and she has all the titles. Right. Yeah. So this is, and, and I'll get to your questions too. They have, we have a couple of questions. So real quick, I also want to do is when does it become uh, technically, a, is it immediate? Once the the committee's done, it's like, yep, you're good, you're locked. He's right in, he's right there. Or is it like we have a a, a slow transition period? I mean, I know he's going to probably get it again, but is it? Do they basically nominate him right then and there, and he's locked in? Yeah, I believe so. I don't think there's like a lame duck period like there is in the U.S. But wow. particularly if it's the same guy, right? That's what I'm saying. So even if it wasn't, I didn't know if there was yeah. a that that if it was somebody different or if he was bringing in a successor. He's not. Um, but I yeah, do I, see I, that. I think the way they sort of cover that lame duck thing is is by handing off a ready made five year plan. So that sort of does the same same thing that our lame, lame duck period does. Gotcha, because he's supposed to follow the plan anyways. Yeah. Which now, what is that? With this being said, where does the do you believe? Obviously, there's no, you're not psychic, but where does that put Taiwan? I mean, is that something he has to take this this term? I mean, it's not going to be like, hey, you know, come Monday morning, we're we're at it. But but is it how much pressure is on him to do it to take Taiwan? I don't know. It's what what scares me is that it's one of the only promises that he made that he can actually wave a magic wand to make it happen. Right. You know, he can't he can't improve the quality of Chinese manufacturing overnight and make everyone in the world use high end Chinese products. He can't do that. He can't save the economy overnight. The one thing he could do is invade Taiwan. Um, I think that the Russian invasion of Ukraine and all the sanctions we put on Russia, I think, scared China. 
and probably delayed that invasion by maybe by years, but I don't know. I mean, I, cause I it's don't know say, what's right? in his head, you know, and it's possible that, that he would do it. It's possible he's going to put it off. Um, I really think that uh, Nancy Pelosi visiting Taiwan was really significant because they threatened. They're like, if she goes there, we're going right. to do this. It's the last one. Yeah, and then nothing happened, basically. They did right. what they always do. They, did, they held a bunch of military exercises, fired a bunch of weapons in the air, you know, scared everybody. And that was it, you know, and there's not much they can do, you know. Right. And, and, and I'm glad that we showed that. Look, you know, you don't have very much, you know, that you can do. So let me ask this. Let me see if I can this. Let me pull this up here real quick. Uh, I mean, I mean, you know, answer. No, nope, is this the one? Uh, no, let me start with this one here. So uh, the people with the pension. So pensions even in Ukraine had just had a pension problem, also basically also. Um, so how does this work? First, let me ask that because it's a good question. How does that pensions work now with the Ukraine with uh, with Europe? in regards to this money? Like, how does it affect, if I'm on a pension there, how is it affecting me now with everything that's going on in Europe? Well, it, I mean, it, it, if you're on a pension, if you're already retired and you're receiving money, right, ostensibly, unless England goes completely broke and collapses into Mad Max, you know, uh, post-apocalyptic, which I don't think is going to happen, obviously. Um, the way it affects you if you're on a pension is that you have a fixed income mm -hmm. and you're now facing inflation. So it's really hard for people that are already pensioned to compensate, particularly for like energy costs. Can you imagine like old people and you're on a really tight budget and then suddenly there's inflation, everything's more expensive, including heating, you know, and old people, right. you know, obviously, you know, need to need to have the heat on, you know. So so it's so that's these people are suffering. And so the governments in the EU, in the UK, even in the US, you know, they're saying, you know, oh, this is terrible. Our pensioners are going to freeze to death this winter or they're not going to eat. So we're going to send them checks. So it's like, yeah, I understand why you're sending them checks, but the problem is it's also going to add to inflation. Right. Cause more money we added to it. So th the question is, is did the people, and this is kind of off topic, but since you're an accountant there and not account, I'm sorry, an uh, economist, uh, we're going to throw this stuff at you. Um, did the people lose their pensions during the great depression? And if so, could it happen again if a country goes broke? Okay. So during the great depression in the U S what happened was uh, a lot of private banks failed. Uh, a significant percentage of the total banks in the United States. I can't remember now if it was 30% or so that failed. And uh, if you had your savings in those banks, you lost all the money. However, the post office used to have a bank, the postal bank. Actually, they may still have it. I don't know. But there was a postal bank. Mm -hmm. A lot of immigrants, when they arrived in America, they recognized that the post office was part of the government and they trusted the government that had just given them you know, a job, a place to live, freedom, right. you know, from, from, from Cossack repression in right. Russia or, you know, whatever they were fleeing and they were so happy. So they put their money in the postal bank. So a lot of those people wound up okay. If their money was in the post office bank, they were fine. Everybody else lost their savings and they, they were able to keep theirs. As far as pensions go, if it was a pension from the United States government, that was fine. It was guaranteed. If it was a pension from a private company, a significant number of private companies failed. So people mm. lost everything. Well, and their pensions. a big factor that wasn't the, the actual stock market crash because not only many people in the stock market, it was the bank runs that happened that people were just ripping money out of the bank, like just running into the bank and taking all their money out. And the banks don't yeah. have to, I don't know what the percentage is, uh, but they only have to have, I think, a percentage of 
the money that they say they have in there, right? You know, they don't yeah, have to have, have all your money. Or banking. They might only have like one tenth of the of the money in there. That's right. Right. And then yeah, that's, that's, that's another movie scene that I show my students. You know, it's a wonderful life. Yeah. When uh when all the people show up at the building alone and they want their money and he said, I don't have your money, it's in Joe's house and Bob's house, and <laughs> right. that's next to yours. You know, right. and that's that that's basically that's fractional reserve banking. They only have a small amount of money in the bank. Um the, uh, the other thing, though, if you do a quick Google search, which I'm sure people are going to do, and then they're going to fact check, they're going to say, but Dr. Antonio said people didn't lose their federal pensions, but there were pension riots by the veterans of the First World War. There were, uh, but it was because they were demanding the money early. Mm, they wanted their money so out. So there were veterans that had been promised a certain amount of money, and then the veterans basically went to the government and said, hey, listen, we got this depression. We're all unemployed. We're hungry, whatever. Could you give us our pension money now, even though the contract says we get it later? And you know, the government said no. And there were these horrible pension riots. And it's kind of one of those areas in history that's kind of downplayed. But, you know, that veterans were, you know, essentially beaten in the street by cavalry, you know, that were demanding their their uh, their pensions. Right. And that also was, um, that's when the FDIC came in also to start insuring this stuff. Yeah. Now it's not the perfect, I mean, it's going to take time to, for everybody to do this, but is that's also another, so the, the threat was more people rushing in to take all their money out, right. And to get their money out of the banks basically back then compared to just the, 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 the stock market crashing. That's why they yeah, came up yes with and the Yeah, no. I mean, FDIC. look, look, a lot of people are fond of saying, you know, because a lot of people simplify and they go, oh, the stock market crash caused the great depression. And then people that are that have a bit more knowledge say, well, no, that was just one of one of many things that happened. Right. And only four percent of Americans own stocks, and that's not really what caused the Great Depression. Okay, but remember that the stock market doesn't exist in isolation. The stock market is the means by which companies get money. Right? Okay. Companies sell stock in order to open, you know, a factory or something, and that creates jobs. Well, when the stock market crashes, then it means companies can't get money, which means they don't open the factory. And they don't create jobs. Got it. Got it. Right. Okay. So it was, you know. technically, what the stock? It wasn't the people losing the money in the stock market. It was the overall fact that the stock market crashed on top of the banks, on top of everything else, yeah. which caused the. And then the other issue, you know, you mentioned FDIC. FDIC came in and that insured deposits, but there are also other laws that came in place that said that banks were not allowed to buy securities. For example, they weren't allowed to speculate on securities with your savings. So when you put a hundred dollars in the bank. They were allowed to loan whatever the fractional reserve was. They were allowed to loan $90, $90 to someone else as a loan. They were allowed to do that. But when there were no regulations, the banks were actually buying stock. And again, just like that scene in the uh, the big short or almost what's happening with these guilts in, in England was that you deposited $100 in the bank. The bank took the $100 and bought stock on margins, they bought a thousand dollars worth of stock mm -hmm. against the hundred dollars that you deposited in the bank. I mean, these are the kind of things right. that were happening during the depression. So when the stock market crashed, of course, the bank lost your hundred dollars and their, you know, nine hundred dollars on top of that, and uh, so that that caused the banks to fail, but it also caused the stock market to fail. And then and then you go to get your money out of the bank, and the bank's gone, you know. And so so this is this is I mean, it was just this horrible chain reaction that happened. Yeah. So, and, and I think that's the thing, cause we, we hear that a lot now, you know, and, and it's, uh, of course, when you, when you're on YouTube all the time, it's like, yeah, dollar's going to crash. It's going to, we're losing reserve currency. This is all going away. And it's that there's a lot of things in place that they're not, 
the last thing they want and the world wants is the dollar to to crash, right? It's not just yes. you, guess what guys, it's not just us, it's the world does not want the dollar to crash. So it's not something that is just going to go Venezuela, right? And yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, cuz people confuse Okay, so there are sure lots of countries in the world say things like, oh, you know, I, I wish we didn't have to use a dollar or, you know, I hate being, uh, you know, a slave to the dollar or something like that. Uh, but at the end of the day, there's nothing they can do. Right. So it's not like all these countries are, are banding together and they're going to get off the dollar. And China is trying to start all sorts of little organizations of countries that are going to get off the dollar. Um, they're not making a lot of headway because because it's just not possible. It's OK, you're going to get off the dollar. What are you going to use? Right. You know, BRICS, BRICS is trying to make its own reserve currency. BRICS is uh, Brazil, Russia, India, uh, China, and South Africa. They're trying to make their own reserve currency, which would be a basket of their currencies. Well, nobody wants to hold the South African rand. You know, right. nobody wants to hold the Brazilian real. I mean, nobody wants to hold these other currencies. You know, the Russian ruble. You know, is this really what you want to hold as your reserve currency? Right. You know, people want dollars and euros, you know? And, and, and it's also the amount of, I, I, I think it's a difficult for people to understand the amount of money that, move, like logistically, being in logistics, I, I know the amount of money that move, actually moves. The, I mean, it's, it's enormous world GDP, you know what I mean? And, and how much yeah. it moves and how fast it moves and how often it's moving for different countries, different things. And it's not easy just to become the world currency. We're just like, okay. Because the um, because of the amount of money that's moving, uh, just in my business, the logistics, just in logistics. Yep. So it's it's not just a click of a button when you're moving that, or or a, a one day it's here, one day it's gone. Because there's well, a, can you imagine right? Because right, you're in logistics, right? Mm-hmm. So let's say that you're gonna you're making a deal with somebody in in Europe, and they go, oh, "Listen, um, we want you to pay us in um, South African rand." Okay. Don't say it's ten thousand dollars. <laughs> so, so you're going to go to your local bank there in Maine. Exactly. You're say, I need yeah, ten thousand dollars worth of South African rand. They're going to be like, come back in two weeks. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> you know, the, the the famous two weeks. We'll have it done in two weeks. But right, and, and then they're going to say to you, "Here's your South African rand." Right. Okay. Now, how are you going to send this to your client? Exactly. And, and by mail, yeah. by post office, and 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 this yeah. is a lot of the stuff that you know that I try to explain out there is it's hard to gr- actually grasp the, the amount of money that moves without to, just to make this stuff work, just to make this you know and and you know printing it and things like that. But it's it's large amounts, and yeah. you you want to kind of pick a country that's at least well at least there you know the countries that are United States. It's more backed on trust. And I think yep. at this point, you know, we are paying our bills and it's, it's, it would be, it's going to go a long way. Now I was saying we're printing way too much. If, if it was in yep. my, if I was in charge, I'd be like, Hey guys, turn the printer off for a day. Can we? Um, but it's, it's still, where do we go with that? Like, how do we, at this point, where do you see in, in this country, the Fed's raising rates again. Do you see that coming? Like where? Yeah, that's a good thing. No, the, it's good that the Fed is raising rates, but we need to stop spending money. Right. So how, that's the problem. It's like we yeah. because we are not not just me and and you know my neighbor, but the the government spending money too. Right. At, yeah. At, yeah. Yeah. The government spending money. I mean, some states are still sending out COVID checks. 
Um, they're still making the loans. They, uh, the student loan forgiveness thing was absolute madness. And one of the things he said when he, when he released this statement about the student loan forgiveness, he said, uh, no one should have to go broke to go to college or something like that. Basically what he was, he was making it sound like this will be ongoing. Like you'll just, you'll go down, you'll apply for student loans, you'll go to college and then you just won't pay. Right. I know. And, and, and so this, so what rates, what, when we talked about a little bit of this last time, but what now seeing what we're still doing, where do you, what, how high do you see interest rates going? Right. Oh, so they're predicting six by next spring. And where 6%. are we at? Where are we at now? We're at three. No. What are we at now? Hang on. I'd have to look. I'm actually it up. not sure. Where I'd we have are to right look now. right. So they're predicting uh, six next by next spring. Next spring. Now, but that prediction, remember that this, remember that this is a decision. Somebody could sit down and make a decision to make it nine. Somebody could sit down and make a decision to, you know, to make it whatever they want. Right. So when we say we're predicting six, uh, just anticipating based on the behavior of the fed and how frequently that they are doing additional raises or increases. Right. But, uh, most of the investment banks are saying it's going to go to six by next spring, but who knows? I mean, the fed chairman could decide, you know, I told you Volcker, uh, went to almost 20, almost 20. You said, and, yeah. and just recently, and I, I won't keep much longer because I knew it, I know it's late over there. Um, just recently, I believe it was the UN that came in and said, Hey, um, you guys, central banks should stop raising rates. Uh, yep. Did you hear that? Why would they say that? Yep. Like, what's their mindset behind that? So, the issue that the UN and all the international agencies have is that every time the US raises rates, um, it basically forces, number one, it forces all the developed countries to raise their rates as well, because otherwise their currencies drop in value and they have all kinds of issues, all kinds of problems with that investment flows out, mm -hmm. uh, imports become really expensive, cost of living, you know, goes up and all this and those countries start having inflation. The real problem is that the developing world really suffers every time the U S raises interest rates. So Whereas it's actually, the, the, it's hurting, it's hurting other countries when we raise our rates. Yeah. Yeah. But, but, you know, I'm fond of saying that the government of the United States is the government of the United States. Right. And the government of the United States should govern the United States. Oh, absolutely. They're good for the United States. Absolutely. You know, I'm sorry that there's a knock-on effect. And it's know. just a suggestion, right? It's just, hey, guys, can you do this for us, basically? And and is and or is it more? I mean, what is their motive? Now, I agree. Like I said, it's technically our decision to make. But at least now we know, okay, why they're making it is you know, when we raise the rates, yeah. some other country gets punched in the mouth, <laughs> per se, yeah. depending on which country. So what, if any, leverage do they have to, to, it, to stop that? Like, does the UN have any leverage at any point? They don't have leverage over us. But the problem is that the UN and the World Economic Forum and these sort of globalist type organizations would prefer to get the whole world on a single uh, monetary policy. Okay. They would like it to be that the U.S. would not be allowed to independently raise rates. They would have to go to some sort of a committee of all the countries, EU, whatever, right. and make a decision about whether or not to raise rates. But and, yeah, we would lose our, our, our monetary sovereignty at that point, you know. 
uh, which is basically one of the issues in Europe is that the countries, as soon as they went on the euro, they lose a great deal of their um, of their uh, monetary independence. You know, as far as like raising rates, lowering rates, you know, increasing money supply, decreasing money supply, you know, it becomes very difficult to do when you're on a common currency. Right. Got it. So basically, it's just it's a. Uh, I suggest you don't do that type. Th- Listen, you're an adult. I remember these conversations from my parents. Listen, you're an adult right now, but I suggest you don't do that. I'm still your, you know. So it's kind of that type of. Uh, in the- I mean, yeah. I mean, look, look, look. What they're looking at again. If you if you bring it down to human terms, right, right. So it makes sense, right? If you have a neighbor right now, let's say you have a neighbor that lives on, um, you know, uh, two thousand dollars a month, right? Mm-hmm. And that's that's their income, and they're you know, so they're kind of poor. And they're living on $2,000 a month. And then the petrol goes up by $40 a week. Right. Right. That, that really, really, really affects this guy that's living on $2,000 a month. Gotcha. You know, and your other neighbor's a doctor and he's earning, you know, $200,000. And he goes and fills up his tank and he goes, wow, that's higher than last week. You know, that's. Right. You know, doesn't affect him much. as much as it affects but, him, right. you know. And so it's the same thing for countries. Like, you know, if you're some country that has a very, very low GDP, you have a very high debt to uh, GDP ratio, and mm-hmm. your whole debt is in US dollars, and you have to make these interest payments, and suddenly the US raises their rates, you know, this negatively impacts them, you know, it has a huge right. impact on their on their everyday lives. Right. Well, that, that I appreciate you clearing that up, because like I said, there was something else and uh, I wanted to bring that up on another channel, and, and I, which I do agree, like it is technically, it is just a suggestion, but it's a suggestion from somebody that we're all supposed to be working together as a team here, <laughs> and you yeah. know, and so it's that type of thing. But again, and I reject that notion. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, uh, that's them yeah, saying. I don't think, it, you know, not look, us. look, you shouldn't intentionally hurt somebody, right? But we have to. I mean, we have to deal with inflation. What do we right. do? Right. Exactly. We have to. But, you're, you're not going to raise rates. You know, you have to because we have to bring the inflation down in the United States. And like in China, you know, it's the first one to run to the U.N. and everybody. Oh, the U.S., you know, and their destructive policy of raising interest rates. And, you know, and this is wrong. You know, it's because China wants everybody to keep their rates low and, you know, keep keep spending the inflation going. And right. it's just madness. Keep spending. Keep spending because that because you're buying Chinese goods some way, somehow, if you're spending there's because they're yep. in it's in everything. Um but yeah, that being said, I think we'll, um, I'm going to end this one here. I appreciate you coming on again. I'm going to, like I said, I'd like to have you on regularly. Uh, we will work out the times for everybody so we, I don't uh, start the show, then stop the show. Uh, but that being said, um, anything else you want to finish up with? Uh, no, <laughs> that, that's it. And and I, and I promise, Sage, I won't uh, mess up the time again next time. But, oh, I'll uh, yeah, take the blame. Man, I was like coming on and I got all this stuff bottled up inside, you know, because I'm working on all these reports with the think tanks and all that. And it's uh, and, and I really enjoy having being able to come here and just talk about it. Thank you. Yeah, so absolutely. Thanks for having me. Like I said, well, anytime you want to come on, just shoot me a message. But all right, guys, I'm going to go ahead and uh, dodge out of here. And as always, stay safe. Sage out. You know. You know. Oh.